Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. This is an interesting account, Jesus stilling the storm, because it's featured in three out of the four Gospels. And that's a, that's a sign that this was an important story uh, to the apostles when, when three out of four of the gospel writers include this. So if, if you're interested, and I will be doing some of this for you as we go, dive into today's lesson, I'm going to borrow some pieces from several of the other accounts. Matthew 8 is going to be the main one, but we're also going to be looking at Luke 8 and Mark 4 a little bit as well, so, because they have some interesting perspective on what happened here. I don't know if you guys uh, are avid watchers, as Julie and I are, of the show Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines. I love that show. Uh, I can get a little bit lost in that show. Certainly, Julie can. Uh, I think she relates not just to the whole Fixer Upper aspect of it, but also the relationship between Chip and Joanna. Uh, they, have a, they have really a beautiful relationship. Uh, and, and some of you may know that they're a Christian couple, so we love just watching them. Uh, relate to each other, but also uh, to see them take something that is completely dilapidated and renew it, redeem it, and give it a, a, a fresh start again is truly a wonder. And it's a great illustration of exactly what Jesus does for us. And I think that's one of the reasons I love it so much. But there's another part to this. Does it ever strike you that Chip and Joanna don't seem to have a problem finding dilapidated places to fix up? They live in Waco, and the way they describe it, Waco and the towns around it are kind of small little towns, but yet there always is another house that has fallen into utter disrepair, and typically on a show, two or three of them. The reason I bring that up is I think we sometimes forget or lose sight of the fact that it's not just houses that are fixer-uppers, but we live in a fixer-upper world. One of the reasons why it's such a great picture of Christ's redemption and renewal of us is that we're fixer-uppers, but our world is also a fixer-upper in this, in this sense. Romans 8 tells us that when sin came into the world, it caused problems not just for people, but for the entirety of creation. And, and Paul in Romans chapter 8 says that the entire creation is groaning under the weight of sin and death and subject to decay. I think those are important words for us to hear. The entire creation is subject to decay. In other words, we live in a fallen world. And the problem with not recognizing and realizing that we live in a fallen world is we don't like to be negative. We don't like to be pessimistic. And so very often we condition ourselves to say, oh, it'll all turn out all right. It's all going to be good. Uh, don't worry so much because things will be, will get better. 
The, the problem with that is the things will get better mode doesn't fit with living into a fallen world. A fallen world is a world in which things by nature don't get better, they get worse. And I know that sounds awfully negative, but it is the truth. And when we don't face up to the truth, then we end up giving ourselves false hopes and we end up even more disappointed and discouraged than we would have been if we would have simply stepped back and said, this is a tough world we live in. And things don't always turn out right. Things don't always work out in the end. Things don't always get better. In a fallen world, in a fixer-upper world, things can fall into disrepair and get dilapidated. That's the truth of living in a fallen world. And that's why we need Jesus. Because Jesus is the one alone who is able to fix us up and fix our world up. And as today's story tells us, that's very important because in a fallen world, you are going to encounter storms in your life. They're coming. And the, and the moment we allow ourselves to think, oh, it's going to be smooth sailing in my life. My marriage, smooth sailing. My job, my work, smooth sailing. My children, raising them, smooth sailing. No storms for us. We don't like storms. Storms are depressing. I think my life is going to be a bed of roses. The moment you go down that track, you are setting yourself up for so much discouragement and disappointment. And that's why today we want to start with this, with this simple truth that we live in a fallen world. And as hard as that is for us to recognize and, and, and realize it's so important that we start there. And that we ourselves, because of our own sin, are fallen people. And so we create our own messes. And we spiritually become more and more dilapidated. I want you to think about this. When we don't expect things to happen, that's when you get into real trouble. I'll use the recent storms in California as an example. Just this recent spate, the last couple weeks of downpours in California... In the newspaper several days ago, you, you, you want to guess at what the number is that they're saying are going to be the, the amount of money that's going to be needed to fix just this last most recent spate of storms? The roads, the bridges, the dams. One billion dollars with a B. To fix the infrastructure in California over this latest round of storms. Then they said, we've got an even bigger problem than that because we have deferred repairs on roads and bridges and dams. And in order to bring everything up to speed, even if we, didn't, if we wouldn't have had the storms, that would have been $6 billion. You see what happens when you expect things to be smooth sailing? See, they don't have the billion dollars. No one in California said, maybe we should save for a storm, for a rainy day. Maybe we should set aside some money so that when it inevitably storms on us and this drought ends, we'll be able to repair stuff. Now, I can yell at California all I want, but does that ever happen to you or to me? 
because we're being so brightly optimistic about life that we fail to plan for the storms that are inevitably going to come? I'm getting a little older. I've noticed that as I advance a little bit in my age, my, I get, my joints get creaky. You know, I, I, I don't feel maybe quite as energetic as I did as a younger man. I, I know when I go to the gym, I can't do quite the things that I did as a younger man. But guess what? I can grouse and complain about that, or I can realize that I'm going to age. And this, this causes real problems for, for people in a fallen world to recognize this. Right now, Julie and I are, are caring for Julie's mom, who's in her 80s, and she's got dementia. And that adds a whole other complication to our life. Imagine that we have to face these things. It, physical health. We had a, an experience with our granddaughter this past week where... Uh, she's staying with us. Um, our son, who's in the military, is home for a short break. And our granddaughter, only eight months old, got sick. And sh- she was really sick and cranky and kept her mom and dad up all night long, taking care of her. Uh, we had forgotten all about that, blissfully and ble- blessing- blessfully. But around our chuckles at them staying up all night taking care of our granddaughter, we realized this is how it is. There's going to be cancer. There's going to be pacemakers. There's going to be surgeries because we live in a fixer-upper, broken, fallen world. Spiritually, you're going to face challenges. And I could go on and on. You know that this is true in your relationships, right? Relationships start with such promise. Oh, I'm so in love with this person. And then one day you kind of look around and you realize our relationship, how did it get this broken? How, how do we get to the point where we're not, we're not only not on the same page, we're not even in the same book, we might not even be in the same library. <laughs> That's how far apart we've grown. All with a relationship that started so beautifully. That's the brokenness that we live with. Those storms are going to come, and that's why this story is so important. I believe it's why it's recorded in three out of four of the Gospels, is for us to have confidence that in a life that will be filled with storms, because it's a broken, fixer-upper world, we need Jesus, and we need him badly. So let's take a look and see what Jesus has to, to teach us today. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. See, I I love this story because it tells you that in, in life, we're sometimes going to face real dangers. And certainly the disciples in this moment were facing real danger. This is a, a storm that is, if you look at that Luke passage, 
put them in great danger. Their boat was about to be swamped. Luke, when he reports, says, as they sailed, he, that's Jesus, fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. So I want you to write this down. In a fallen world, furious storms are going to rage and threaten to swamp us. That's going to happen in our relationships. It's going to happen in our health. It's going to happen with our finances. It's going to happen in our careers. Storms are going to come, and it's going to happen in the weather, as California just experienced. That word squall is very interesting. Because if you look up the definition of a squall, you get two words that I think it's important for us to understand. A squall is sudden and it is violent. I want you to think about the things in your life that have hit you out of the blue all of a sudden. In fact, another author uses the word seismos, which is the word for an earthquake. And an earthquake is, is the very definition of something that is sudden and violent. So, so this storm came up like an earthquake, suddenly and violently. What's going on in your life or what has gone on in your life that's a storm that hit you out of the blue all of a sudden and turned your world topsy-turvy because it was just violent? Have you ever had a storm like that in your life? I know I have. And I know it's scary. It's frightening. And, and, and what we need to see in this is that the risk is real. The danger is there. It's, it's not as if th this is uh, just a drill. These disciples on this boat, remember, they're experienced fishermen. They grew up on this lake. They knew the ins and outs of these storms. They had been sailing through these storms forever. Since they were small children, they, by, their, by virtue of their experience, should have known how to handle this, and yet they're scared out of their gourds. They don't, they don't know what to do. And maybe you've been there in your job, in your relationships, in your health, in your finances. Maybe you've been through an actual flood or storm that has damaged uh, your home or your life in some way, and, and you're like, oh my goodness. How do I, how do I handle this sudden violence? And, and the disciples really didn't know what to do. So write this down. Your first uh, bullet point is, the danger may be real. I want to show you something that's kind of interesting. Two Jewish brothers who are amateur archaeologists some years ago were walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they were there because the sea had dropped down to a low level. There had been a drought. And these two brothers thought to themselves, let's go walk and see if we can find anything interesting in the mud. And as they were walking along the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is right around the area where, where Jesus made his, um, his headquarters in Capernaum, a little town on the north shore of Galilee, they found this. And it's been dated, and this is actually, it's called the Jesus Boat. You can look it up. There's a Wikipedia article about it, or sometimes it's called the Galilee Boat. But Scientists have been able to date this hull, this boat, back to sometime between 100 BC and 100 AD, right in 
the time of Jesus. You know what's so beautiful about being able to see this? Is from seeing this, we can actually make a model of what Jesus' boat that he was in in this storm looked like. So that's that. They've actually made a model. You want to know what the dimensions of that boat are? 27 feet long. This is not a large boat. It's 27 feet long. It's seven and a half feet wide. It's four to five feet deep. They wanted the boats to be shallow because what was the main activity on these boats? Not going back and forth across the lake. What was the main activity? It was fishing. And so as fishermen, they wanted to be able to come up close to shore and cast their nets because that's where many of the fish collected uh, in the water. And so the best fishing was closer to shore. So they could not make deep boats that would stay super stable in in a storm. They made these shallow boats that could easily get filled up with water and get swamped. So what's the story the disciples are telling themselves in their head as this furious storm, this squall, this earthquake of wind and waves hits them? They're telling themselves, we're going to look like that. And very shortly. And they're scared. As experienced as they are, they're so scared that later on Jesus is going to ask them, do you guys have any faith? They, they did not know what to do. And that's because the danger was real. Think about your storms. I, I want you to understand that while you follow Jesus, the promise that you have from Jesus is that his whole goal for you is to get you to heaven. So if you're facing storms in life, very often Jesus will be there to end that storm. But there are times when he's going to leave you in the storm because his whole goal, what did I just say, is to get you into heaven. There may even be times where he allows the storm to swamp you, to overtake you, even to take your life if that's the right timing for him to get you into heaven. So please don't ever think of this story as your personal guarantee that when you're going through a storm, Jesus is always going to still the storm the way you want it to be stilled. Sometimes the way Jesus stills our storms is he grabs hold of us by the collar and says, you're coming home with me now and you'll be in heaven and the storm will be perfectly still there just so we understand. Now, does that mean Jesus doesn't have the authority or the power to still the storms? This is telling us he does. As we've been going through this entire series, Jesus, Son of God, one of the things that we've been saying is, look at this. This shows you that Jesus is God. One of the things that we know about God is that he is almighty and that he has authority. Thus, the title of today's message, Authority Like None Other. And because we know that God has almighty power and he has the authority, we can put it this way. What God says goes. Do you hear me on that? In fact, I want you to say that with me because that's important. I want you to be taking this home with you. What God says goes. Will you say that with me? What God says goes. So if that's true, and I think the Bible teaches pretty powerfully it is true, 
If we can say that what Jesus says goes, what does that make Jesus? God. And that's exactly what we're going to see today, is that what Jesus says goes even when he's talking to the winds and the waves. Doesn't matter to whom he's saying it, to what he's saying it, we're going to see clearly that what Jesus says goes because he has authority like none other. And you can depend on that. During the storms of your life, you can look to Jesus as the disciples did and realize this, nothing, nothing, nothing is ever beyond Jesus' control. So will you write that down? The danger may be real, that's bullet number one. Yet nothing is ever beyond Jesus' control because what he says goes. He's God. Now the disciples, this is, Matthew 8 is awesome. If you, if you have your Bible open, just glance at it because the disciples have been seeing a lot of this lately. They've seen a, a man with leprosy healed. They've seen Peter's mother-in-law healed. They've seen lots of people who are demon-possessed come up and be healed. Like the disciples are seeing what this guy says goes. So what's their reaction when this storm threatens to swamp their boat? They get on their little disciple feet and they run to the back of the boat, the stern of the boat, where Jesus is doing what? Taking a nap. As this storm is carrying this little boat up to the top and dropping it back down, I wonder how easy it was, even though Jesus, it says, has a mat, for him to stay asleep. But he was in perfect peace. Taking a nap in the back of the boat, he must have been, as a human being, just utterly exhausted from all the things that he had done. And certainly, as true God, he had peace to know everything, this whole world, is under the control of my loving Heavenly Father. So he's back there asleep. Now, has this ever happened to you that a storm is raging in your life, and you believe that God is fully in control because you're a Christian, but God is not stilling that storm in your life. He's letting it just carry on. He's let it, letting it keep on and keep on. And it is, you're beginning to go, man, God, are you awake up there? You see what's happening down here to me? And then ultimately, if that goes on long enough, what do you start to think to yourself? Or I'll just share with you what I start to think to myself. God, do you care? Because you're supposed to be omniscient, all-knowing. You're supposed to be one who can see everything. And yet, you're letting this storm just rage on and on. I'm starting to wonder if you care. And that's exactly what the disciples began to think. Take a look at Mark. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, what's their question? Don't you care if we drown? You see, when the storms rage in your life, fears are going to rise. They just are. Write that down. When storms rage, fears rise. I want you to hear that loud and clear so that you know what to expect. When storms rage, fears rise. That's what's going to happen to you as a fallen human being living in a fallen world where storms happen. 
And our fears are going to tell us a little story that God doesn't care what's happening to us. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't love us. We don't matter to him. And so I want you to know to expect that thought to cross your mind when storms rage in your life. It's not true, as we're going to hear in just a moment. But it is a thought that you're going to be tempted to think. We all do it. When the storms rage, the fears rise, and we begin to think, God, don't you care? Sometimes we just wonder, why is God letting this keep going when he can see how painful it is for me? Why is he continuing to let my health slide downhill like this? My marriage slide downhill like this? My job, oh, I hate getting up every morning and going to work, and those people drive me nuts. And the work, it just doesn't feel like it has any meaning at all. It's a paycheck. Do you ever, ever have thoughts like that? Why, Lord? Why, do you, why did you put me in this situation, and why don't you still this storm? Don't you care about me? We're all going to be tempted to ask it. I want you to to look at something even more surprising. (laughs) Not only will Jesus leave you in storms, but sometimes Jesus will lead you into storms. If you're following along in Matthew 8, I want you to see the verse that comes right before them setting sail across the lake. What's happening is Jesus has been doing all this healing healing the sick, healing the demon-possessed. People are asking him about following him, and he's responding to them, and he's saying, follow me. You, you should follow me, in fact, right now. And one guy comes to Jesus, and he says, well, I do. I want to follow you, Jesus, but my father just died. I need to ba- bury him. And what does Jesus surprisingly say? Let the dead bury their own dead. Exactly. In other words, no, you follow me. Come right now. Don't go back for that funeral. Now, from there, where does Jesus go? Follow me right now. And and interestingly, one of these three gospel accounts about this story tells us that the boat of the disciples was not alone. There were several other boats filled with other followers that set sail with them. So there's a little flotilla going along. One of these guys could have said, okay, I'm going. I hear you, Jesus. I'm following you. Where's Jesus leading him? Right into the eye of the storm. Now, I don't know about you. I became a Christian a little bit later in life. One of the driving forces behind me becoming a Christian was this little thought that, man, my life can't get much worse. Maybe if I follow Jesus, he's going to help me out and life will get easier. Wonder if this guy thought that. Because <laughs> if he did, he was sadly mistaken. You see, the thing is, when you become a Christian, here's what you get you get the greatest peace you could ever imagine. Peace inside your heart, I mean, peace inside your mind. Because you know that your guilt is gone, your sins are forgiven. You, you hear Jesus promise that he's going to send you the Holy Spirit 
to help you change your life for the better. You can get rid of the moral garbage that you've had in your life and, and live a changed life following God's will. And in that way, things with, with the Spirit's help can get better, yes. But guess what happens when the Holy Spirit drags and pulls you across the line to faith in Jesus? Who gets unhappy with that? The devil? Your own sinful flesh wants to rebel against that? The world doesn't like it that you're following Jesus? Certainly not. And so now, at the same time that you have this deep, deep, deep peace in your heart from following Jesus and knowing about the cross and the empty tomb, you're entering a battle, a war like none other. Because now you're fighting Satan, fighting the world, fighting the little Benedict Arnold within yourself called your sinful flesh. And it is a constant, horrible war. So to think that becoming a Christian is a way to skirt the storms or or, or to find a way to reduce the fears, what Jesus is saying, you follow me, you're headed into the storm. And I want you to write that down because I think that's important. Jesus just doesn't leave us in the storm that we're already in. Sometimes he leads us into the storm that isn't even there yet. Following Jesus is not about avoiding the storm or skirting the fear. So you can turn the page. I love how the the rest of the New Testament kind of takes this lesson that we, we learn because some of, some of this, we, we get to see these guys later on in life. Peter's a good example. So Peter's on this boat, right, with the disciples. He's one of those guys that scurries over to Jesus asleep in the back of the boat and says, wake up, Jesus. You got to help us. And, and by the way, I don't know if you've ever been this scared. One of the ways we know how scared these guys were is that in the account that Matthew writes, when they go to Jesus, it's two words that come out of their mouth. The disciples don't even say, save us or save me. They simply say, save. And then the second word is, we're drowning. That's it. Two little exclamations, save, we're drowning. Now maybe you've been there. Or you didn't, you were so scared by the storm in your life, by the situation in your health, your relationship, your job, your finances, where you're just like, Jesus, I don't know what to pray. Safe. I'm drowning in this problem. And you know what? That's beautiful when that happens. Because that's exactly what the disciples did. Jesus is going to say, you, don't, you guys, you couldn't even find your faith. But they found just a little mustard seed sliver of faith to run to the back of the boat and pray in a way that I think Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. He says, when you don't know what to pray, just pray what comes out of your mouth. The Holy Spirit will help you with your prayers. He'll pray along with you as an intercessor with, with groans that words can't express. I hope you know that's how you can rely on Jesus when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like your boat is going to get swamped, right? And, and I'm telling you, there's, there is this difficulty. I, I showed you the picture of that boat, 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four or five feet deep, 
Do you think that in this major storm with all those big waves and the wind, at some point those experienced fishermen said, I wish we had a bigger boat? I wish we had a deeper boat? Because that would carry us through this storm? See, part of the problem, we get into this situation where we're, we're hurting, we're scared, we don't know how to fix up this thing that is causing the storm, is we look around and we go, our boat's too small. Our boat's way too small. I don't have the resources I need to fix this. God, why, why haven't you given me a bigger boat? God, why is this boat so shallow? Why is this boat so short? It's not enough. You need to help me more. Well, the disciples, when they got into that situation, they said, our boat's not big enough. They scurried to the back of the boat. They woke Jesus up and said, save, we're drowning. And that's exactly what we can do today. Whatever your storm is, you run to Jesus. Look at, look at what Peter says. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Do you see the fisherman's metaphor in there? What word does he use? Right? And by the way, these guys did not have Zebco rod and reels back in the day. Okay? So cast does not mean like that. Cast means you have a net. And can you picture this? Peter's saying, cast all your cares and all your anxiety and all your worship, all your worry on Jesus. Cast it. Take it and just throw it on Jesus. All of it. Take the whole big net of your worry and anxiety and just so, here, Jesus, you take it. Cast all your anxiety on him. And then he answers the question that we raised before. Are we right when we think, God, you don't care about me anymore? Are we right? Peter says that's not right. Look at what he says. Why can we cast like a net all our anxiety on him? Because he cares for you. He loves you. You're his child. You're his brother. You're his friend. You're his sister. He cares for you deeply. And he is there waiting to catch all the anxieties and the fears and the worries and distill the fear in your heart. Paul writes about this. And he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. See, God's not far away. Jesus was not far away. There he was asleep in the stern of the boat. All they had to do was run about 25 feet of the 27 feet in the boat to get to Jesus. He was near. And he's still near, the apostle Paul says. Not far. So what do we do? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Do you see those words? They're all-encompassing, all-inclusive words. I, I love this passage because I'm tempted in the midst of my storms to go, God, I know you know all things. I know you are all powerful. You can still the storm, but I'm thinking maybe this storm you're not going to still. This one's too big for you. Maybe you didn't see it. Maybe you don't care about this one, God. Are you ever in a storm like that where you suspect maybe God does? But look at what Paul says. He wants you to be reassured. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Because Jesus sees it all. And then he goes on. I want to make this point a second time. But in every situation, 
By prayer and petition, which is what the disciples scurried to do, pray and petition Jesus with thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here in the boat with me. Present your request to God. And then there's a promise, beautiful promise. A promise about that peace that we talked about a few moments ago. What do you get when you follow Jesus? You may not get outward peace, but you'll always get peace for your heart. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. While all this is going on out here and the storm is passing over you, you're going to have peace because you just took your anxiety and said, here, Jesus, take it, it's yours. And he's going to say, I got it and I got you. So write this down. When fears rise, frustration and anger often rise with him. I want to talk about that for just a moment. You see, what do the disciples say to Jesus? You can tell they're a little frustrated with him, can't you? Like, don't you care? Now, I don't know about you, but when I get afraid, when there's storms in my life, maybe this happens to you. It certainly happens to me. Julie points it out. I get grumpy. Like, why is this happening? Why is this storm raging? How come it doesn't end? Why can't I figure out what to do with it? And then I start grumping at her and at other people that I love in my life. The staff duck when I come into the room. Because I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I don't know what to do with this. And what Paul is telling us is instead of getting angry and frustrated with everybody that you love around you, just pray. Thank God that he's in the boat with you and cast your anxiety and your worry and your fear and your frustration on him. That's what he wants you to do. And that's what the disciples did. The disciples saw that the Lord was near. They ran with their anxiety to Jesus. And then Jesus calmed their fears and the storm in this situation. Now, I want you to imagine this scene. They have just been through a raging storm. It's been violent. It's been sudden. They didn't see it coming. They're scared out of their gourds, and all of a sudden, boom, it's still. The whole Sea of Galilee is like glass. There's a little question about the timing because of the way the gospel writers uh, portray this, but I kind of like it in this position, where does Jesus ask his question? I, I, I think it belongs here. After everything's still down, Jesus comes and says, where's your faith? Did you lose your faith? Didn't you know that I was here in the boat with you? Didn't you know that I have the authority to still and stop the wind and the waves? Don't you know that because I am the son of God, that what I say goes? How'd you lose your faith? You know, I, I, I think this is something that is pretty typical for us too, right? Where's your faith, Luke reports. That's what Jesus asked him. He asked his disciples, and in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? Who is this guy? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. You know, what I love about these accounts is we get to, we get to be gently nudged and pushed all the way to the end of the story. 
I love it that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't just leave us in the middle. I wonder if Jesus stilled that storm. Hmm. No, they take us all the way to the end. He got it done. He stilled the storm. He calmed their fears. And now we, we can look at our life and go, those storms that we're going through, Jesus is going to still those too. In his time, in his way. His goal is to get us to heaven, so he's going to leave us with just enough storm. Sometimes he's going to lead us into a storm so that we're ready when that day comes for us to be led. But we have the advantage of being able to look back at the life of the disciples and say, Jesus has the authority to still the storms and still the fears inside my heart. What he says goes. And we can even do something better than that. And that is we can, we can go to the real end of the story. And that's what the book of Revelation is so beautiful for. I don't know if you know this, but the apostle John wrote the book of Revelation to show us the end of the, the whole story the end of this age, the end of this world, and what's going to happen. And what's beautiful about that is it assures us, it promises us that no matter what storms we're going through right now, ultimate victory is ours in Jesus Christ. We are the victors. We are the winners. And we will have an eternity of perfect peace living with Jesus. Look at, look at what John writes as he sees this vision in the book of Revelation. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. John is saying, don't you worry no matter how bad it gets, there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day. And Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to bring with him his, his salvation, your salvation, to present it to you and say, come on, live in heaven with me forever. He's going to present to you his immense power that he all along had authority to still your heart and still the storms in your life. And he is going to share with you a place, citizenship in his kingdom forever. That's the amazing promise of Jesus dying the perfect death on the cross for you and rising again from the dead. His death and resurrection assure us that his salvation, his power, and his kingdom have now become our salvation, our power. And our kingdom. And then notice what John says. And this guy, Jesus, who comes with this salvation, empowering kingdom, he has the authority to convey these things to you. He ends it with, and the authority of his Messiah. Write this down. Jesus has authority like none other. What he says goes, because he's the son of God. What Jesus says goes no matter to whom or to what he says it. Even when we have trouble finding our faith, we will find hope and help in him. You know the beauty of it is? It's not the size of your faith or mine that matters. What matters is the size of our God and the size of his power and authority and what this story tells us is, if we 
by the Spirit's power alone, have just a sliver of faith, just enough to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't know what to pray, but I'm in this storm. Save, I'm drowning. That Jesus has the power and the authority to still your fears, give you peace. And if he decides so, to still the storm. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you command even the wind and the waves. It's clear, you have authority like none other. And Lord, we know and we are confident that what your apostle Peter said is true, that we can cast all our fears and anxieties on you because you care for us. Lord, when our faith falters, When it is so small that we can't find it, we ask for you to send your Holy Spirit. Send your Spirit now, today, through this message to help us grab a hold of the fact that you are always there for us and you have the power and the authority to change things and to help us when we're in trouble. Lord, I know that in this room there are storms going on. There are storms of health. There are storms of aging. There are, there are storms of careers and, and jobs that, that have been lost. There are storms of finances. There are storms of relationships, marriages, rebellious children, all kinds of storms, Lord. But today we've heard, we've learned, and we believe that you have the power to still our troubled hearts to calm the wind and the waves inside of us, first and foremost, but then also, according to your will, to calm the storm itself. Lord, I pray that you would look with your loving care on everyone in this room and bless them to be assured that you do care about them and that they can cast their anxiety upon you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I got this big old lump of keys that I carry around in my pocket all the time, but I don't know if this happens to you, but I sometimes lose them. And it's usually when I'm frazzled and in a rush and thinking about other things, I don't put them in the place that I've set up to put them. I'll throw them down somewhere and I lose them. Here's the thing. That is what happened to the disciples' faith. As they came unraveled in that storm because it was sudden and it was violent and as they got frazzled and frightened, Jesus had to ask them, where'd you put your faith? And that's going to happen to us. It's going to happen to you. And what I want you to take home out of today's message is you have help. The Holy Spirit wants to strengthen your faith, help you find your faith. And most of all, no matter what the size of your faith, Jesus has the authority. What he says goes. So run to him. Take all your anxiety and all your fear and cast it on him and let him catch it for you. Let me send you home with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.